Welcome back to the 7Dev Podcast. I'm your host, Christian Freeman. This is episode four in both the podcast and also in the first series we're doing on this podcast, which is the Hacking the Full Stack Dev Career Roadmap. Quite the mouthful, but the idea is looking at your full stack development career and specifically something I see all the time, which are these roadmaps of how do I get a job? How do I level up in my career? And in this series of these four episodes, we've been looking at the very beginning of that roadmap, which is the junior part of that whole sort of career, getting your first job, what happens when you get that first job, how do you become successful, and all those sorts of things. This episode is going to focus on three different topics, and it's a wrap-up episode for this section of, like I said, of the junior part of this roadmap. So first, we're going to talk about your resume. Second, we're going to talk about the interview process, tips and tricks to succeed in the interview process. And then uh, I'm also going to talk about the wrap-up section, common misconceptions and pitfalls that I think other roadmaps run into. And by the end of this, hopefully you have everything you need to know to start getting up and running. One thing I'll mention uh, as I've been recording all this is, although in the front end and back end episodes, I talked at a pretty high level about like kinds of things you should learn, you'll note that I haven't really suggested resources here because it's like totally oversaturated field in terms of helping you get your first job. I'm not trying to sell you a course or something here. I think a lot of people would probably assume that I'm going to give you my junior developer course at the end of this. It's going to cost $2.99 or something. I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'll tell you up front that resources that I've used to help recommend other people that I like a lot is FreeCodeCamp. And I'll put a link to that in the description. I think that FreeCodeCamp is probably the best one right now. It's also free, which I like because uh, I'm not getting, maybe you'd think, oh, he's uh, going to get an affiliate <laughs> sale off of this or something. I'm not. I, I like free code camp. But I think that the other reason is that it's pretty hard to learn all this stuff and no course is going to get you 100% of the way there. And all of that free code camp stuff or whatever you pick and this podcast and whatever else you listen to and the people you follow on Twitter, all, all those things, they all come together to be the resources that you use. And not one of them is going to be like the comprehensive, I'm going to solve all your problems and help you get the job. And so that's why I haven't really recommended any particular thing, though I free code camp is what I'll say now in this episode that you should probably check out. But yeah, that's just a, a sort of brief disclaimer on all of the stuff we've covered. Now, real quick, I haven't actually mentioned the rest of this podcast. So this is a new podcast. I'm on episode four. We've been covering this sort of series of getting into this stuff. But I want to real quick just tell you a little bit about what this podcast is and, and what it's about. And hopefully, if you find it interesting, you'll subscribe. So the idea with 7Dev is we're all about hacking your development career. That could mean how to be more productive. It could mean how to get a better job. It could mean new tools and frameworks that are going to help you be a better developer. Uh, you can think of it as life hacks for devs, though the life hack term, as I've said in prior episodes, is like very oversaturated on social media today. That's the gist of what we're doing in this show. So if you find that interesting, make sure to subscribe on uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all those places. And let me know on social media at 7dotdev, 7.dev on uh, all the social media platforms. Let me know what you think of this podcast. Okay, so let's jump into hacking the dev career roadmap, junior resumes, interviews, and a general wrap up of everything we've talked about so far in this series. So let's talk about the resume. So I think the resume for a junior developer is both something that people sweat a lot. They spend a lot of time thinking about it and trying to get it right. And almost conversely is something that I think people, I don't 
think it's imp- as important as people think it is. And I'll tell you why. There are a lot of people trying to be junior developers, right? There are, I can tell you from experience, having open junior developer roles, like hundreds or thousands of people are going to apply. It is really a numbers game. You are competing against a lot of other people. I know that's depressing, but that is the truth. It's just, <laughs> it's uh, hard. It's hard to get your foot in the door. And when I say that people sweat it too much, I don't mean that you shouldn't have a resume or something like that. Obviously, that would make no sense. What I mean is that people spend a lot of time worrying about this sort of there's a, a thing called the Pareto principle, which is the 80-20 rule, which is that 80% of something of a task takes 20% of the time, 20% of the task takes the remaining 80% of the time. And I think the Pareto principle is really in play here with resumes. A lot of people spend a lot of time worrying about that last 20%, which is like making it look beautiful, right? Like an awesome design or something like that, or like buying 50 resume templates and just trying to pick the right one that really is like whatever is, is going to help you get the job. A good resume absolutely gets your foot in the door and helps you get an interview. And I don't think that comes from that last 20%. It comes from the 80% of time you spend getting the details in there that really matter. So I am not the best person to talk resumes. I don't review resumes on a regular basis anymore, though in my prior role as an engineering manager, I certainly did. It's not as front and center in my career as it was in the last couple of years. But I will tell you some general advice that I've learned both from that and just from my success rate in submitting my resume to places. And I actually made a video about this, which I'll link in the description of this podcast episode, a link to Instagram a short that I did, or I guess Instagram reel that I did on resumes. And it had a very clickbaity title of your resume is broken. Here's how to fix it. So I'll summarize that video here, but you can check it out on Instagram as well. Over the last couple of years, resume review for recruiters has become, like I said, a big numbers game where hundreds or thousands of people are submitting their resumes. And in order to even be able to begin to look through those, most places have turned towards some sort of automated resume reveal. That could be like an initial algorithm screening that happens in the tool that they're using. It could be AI or something like that at this point now. And what that means is that you need to stop structuring your resume as like a beautiful piece of art and think of it as more like search engine optimization. So if you've ever looked at SEO, which is search engine optimization, you may know that people who are in the SEO game are in the business of getting their website to rank on Google or wherever, Bing, I don't know, whatever else, DuckGo, I don't know, getting it to rank on search engines. What that means is that you are in the business of putting the right keywords in the right places, getting the right information on the page in order for Google or whatever else to look at your website and say, oh, this looks great. We should suggest this to people. I think it'll help them with whatever problem they're trying to get the answer to. And you need to think of your resume in the same way. What that means is that you don't need to structure it as like this beautiful work of art. You need to say line by line every possible thing that you know and how how much time you have spent doing it and things like that. It, it's like literally just a long list of keywords. So I'll give you an example. My resume as it stands today is before I even get into experience, what are the places I've worked and things like that. It is three quarters of a page to a page, depending on what context. I, I have a couple of different versions of it, depending on I'm applying for a developer advocate role or a full stack engineering role. But it is like a full page of the following eight plus years experience building Ruby on Rails applications in a full stack environment, connecting with uh, backend APIs and integrating front end design. Five plus years working with React 
Node.js framework and building complex user interfaces. Six plus years working with SQL and PostgreSQL, etc. You get the point, right? I like fell asleep doing that uh, to myself saying that out loud. But the reason why we do this is that although it sounds really boring, this is what the algorithm really likes. Again, all we do in 2023 is just try and get the algorithm to like us, right? Whether that's social media or the recruiting tools or whatever. Listing all of those things out, even as a junior developer, even if you don't have that much experience, right? That is the stuff that the algorithm likes versus a really weirdly designed, probably looks good as a PDF, maybe looks good in Microsoft Word or whatever. This like crazy design layout where you have all these like progress bars that show like I'm 10 out of 10 stars on JavaScript and I'm 8 out of 10 stars on HTML. Like that stuff looks really nice to a human, but the thing is the humans aren't looking at it until much later in the process. So you need to design your resume to be a long list of keywords. Think of it like an SEO search engine optimization. I don't know, resume engine optimization. I don't know what you want to call that, but that is the way to get your resume to stand out at the beginning of this whole process, which is like just getting a human to look at it. So that's my tips on resumes. There are great resume templates out there. And there are a lot of people who have spent a lot of time reviewing a lot of resumes. I know there are services you can pay to get your resume reviewed, all of that stuff. But I can tell you as a practitioner and as someone on the hiring end and working with tools like Bamboo HR and Greenhouse and stuff like that, which a lot of these places are using for hiring, that makes your resume stand out as boring and annoying as it is. Think of it as a resume engine optimization and I think your resume will do better. Okay, let's talk about interviews. So interviews are probably something that need to have their own sort of topic. And I think that I'm not maybe the best person to go into super big detail about it. I guess my two sort of high level ideas are one, be nice and honest. That's number one. And number two, use something that is called the star framework, which I'll get into. Every interview is going to be different. You are going to get an interviewer that is having a good day. You're going to get an interviewer that's having a bad day. I would say that my very, very first job that I got, I caught my future manager who did my coding interview on a very good day. And all of the time I'd spent worrying about my coding interview, I was super stressed out about it. I, you know, am I going to be able to do this? Ugh, I'm going to choke so bad on this or whatever. I caught him on a very good day. He's very happy. We wrote 10 lines of code and he was like, awesome, you get this stuff. Let's move on. So I've had other interviews where I designed something that was super complex on the whiteboard, felt like I'd really nailed it. And the guy was just having a bad day. And he was like, yeah, no, the, you didn't think about this. You didn't think about that. I look back at what I built and realized like the project that this I was supposed to be, I can tell you it was building Redux, the state management library for React, like on a whiteboard. And he was like, you didn't think of this and didn't think of that. I went and looked at how Redux built it. And I was like, they didn't even think about this. This is the open source project that I don't know, 100,000 people use and they didn't think about it. So the fact that I got dinged for it in an interview seemed silly. The idea here is that it is a lot of variable stuff. You don't know what kind of, I don't know, you don't know what you're going to get on that certain day. And so a lot of it is just going to be, you just have to interview a lot. It's a numbers game. There's a quote from Alex Hormozzi where he says, volume negates luck. This idea that if you interview a hundred times, one of the, I don't know if you're going to get it in one of those 100 times, but let's just pick that as an example. You interview a hundred times, there's a better chance you're going to get a job than someone who interviews 10 times, like 99% of the time. You do more interviews, you get better, you have a better chance of one of those being a winner, right? So you just need to keep doing it. And um, sure, there's some skills and things you can learn. And I'll talk about some of that here, but you really just need to do a lot of it. Now, there's a lot of people who care a lot about interviews. There's things like crack the coding interview and things like that, which is a 
really popular book and, and there's all kinds of stuff around interview practice and things like that. I don't know if those are all worth it, though maybe some of the books on like coding problems are worth it, but it's just, it's really variable. It's so dependent on like the human factor that it's really hard to give like good declarative answers. I'm also just, I'm not going to act as though I have all the answers. I'm not going to tell you if you do these three things, you will get a job as I've been telling you throughout all these episodes, because this is just my opinion and experience. So let me tell you about something that I do find useful. It's something I learned a couple years ago, and I use it all the time in interviews now, and I, I think it's really useful. And that's called the STAR method. So I believe this comes from Amazon, or at least that's where I first heard it was during an Amazon AWS interview, which is a way of telling a story given a question. Tell me about a time that you built something and it didn't work like you wanted it to, or whatever. It's not even a good interview question, but I'll just give you an example. The STAR method is a way to structure your ideas and give an answer that is pretty satisfactory. So the STAR stands for situation, task, action, and result. And this is a great way to structure both answers to technical problems, but I also think it's it's really applicable to basically anything in the interview context. So the situation is, of course, you know, what, so for that example, give me an example of where you tried to build something and, and it didn't work like you thought. The situation would be what were you building or what was the project or something? So uh, situation, I'll go use this example that I that I used in the last episode on portfolio projects, which was a, a recipe application. So, well, the situation was I was building a recipe application and I had started building out the recipe page and I wanted to make it more interesting because it was just like a list of the ingredients and the instructions. Now we get into the task. The task is what you were actually trying to do. What was the problem in this situation? For task, I might say, I want to make the page more interesting. So I thought about building a live feature that would show how many other people were on this recipe cooking at the same time. Okay, so that task explains what was I trying to actually do? Um, some places I would say what was like your responsibility in that situation. So my, my responsibility here was I was trying to build this live feature. Now the A is action. What steps did you actually take to do that? Okay, I went and I researched what does it even mean to do live stuff in an application. I didn't even know what that meant. And I discovered that a lot of people use this thing called WebSockets. So I found a tool called Socket.io and I started implementing it in the application. Okay, so that's like the action. What steps did you take? And then the result, remember that the question here is when you try to code something, it didn't go well. So the result is what happened? What was the outcome? And so in this story, I might say the result was I got it built and it started showing here are 10 other people that are on this recipe at the same time as you. 10 other people are cooking this right now, which is like what the UI text that I used was. But what happened is, since I was new to working with WebSockets, I didn't understand how to scale it correctly. And so when I sent the link to three or four of my friends and they opened it up, we actually crashed the server. So the backend server went down and I had to bring it back up. And so the result was I didn't, I started building this feature, but I didn't know yet how to, you know, how to solve this problem. And so so uh, I caused the server to crash. Now, of course, the follow-up question might be, well, did you learn how to fix it or whatever? That might be considered part of the result here, or that's a follow-up question. But basically, you can see the STAR method allows you to structure your thinking. Now, the reason that this matters is that you are going to be super, super nervous in your interview. You're going to be like, you're going to pee yourself. You're so nervous. Not really. That's You're going to be like, oh shit, something is, I, I can't even think right now. So with the STAR method, you have a way to structure your thinking. And so when they ask, you that question, you don't just go, I put it on the, put the web sock, the web sock was on the page and it crashed. 
like there was four people on there and there's this error that was like, oh, the WebSocket exceeded. And so that was what happened. It's like a terrible answer, right? It doesn't do anything for you. It doesn't, you need to be able to explain your thinking. This is something we talked about in episode three, explain your thinking. You can go back and listen to that episode where we talked about that in the context of portfolio projects. The STAR method is a really great way to structure your thinking there. And no matter what the question is, I, I think most of the time it's very applicable. Like I said, I'm not going to give you, here's my three tips. You're going to get the job when it comes to interview stuff. But those are just a couple high level things that I think are useful in an interview situation. Okay. In this series, we've been talking about the junior part of the roadmap. What are all the things you need to know as a junior developer trying to get your first job? Or once you're in your first job, how do you actually continue to build and develop on your career? I'm going to give you a couple parting thoughts before we wrap up this series on how to do this well, how to be efficient and things like that. So number one is having some degree of accountability. I think accountability can be really great. It doesn't mean you need to share every last minute, every last little thing you're doing every single minute. Like I did this today. I did this today. I think there is such thing as like over sharing or over accountability. It becomes more about that part of it than like the actual learning. But I think if you can lay out like your own sort of timing roadmap, I want to learn this by this point. I want to learn this by this point. I want to get my first interview by this day. I think that can be really valuable. I also think that means being very specific. So I don't think you should just say, I'm going to interview in six months. My first interview is going to be in six months. There are so many steps between here and then. I think what needs to be more is in a month, I hope to be at this place with HTML. The month after that, I hope to be with this place with CSS. A month after that, I want to be here with JavaScript. And then over the next three months, I'm going to build one, two, three portfolio projects. Maybe the last two or three weeks, I'll start putting together my resume and then I'll begin applying to interviews. That is much better than six months from now, I'm going to be in my first interview. Don't know how I'm going to get there. Six months from now, that's the day I circle on my calendar. There's this idea without getting too deep into it in a book called Getting Things Done, where you need to be able to break up tasks into their sort of smallest itemized parts in order to be able to act on them. And I think this is totally true with something like the to-do item, get a software developer job, right? What does that mean? It's a very large goal. And so being able to break that up and tackle it piece by piece, I think is going to help you get there. And when it comes to accountability, I think that itself is a form of accountability between you and your future self. But you may want to also share that with other people if you want, though that's dependent on each person and how you want to do that. The second thing that I'll say is in regards to the industry itself. In 2023, the industry has been in a weird spot where it's probably seen the first sort of like downturn that it's seen in a very long time, certainly since I started working about 12 years ago. And so in particular, junior developers and people who are at the beginning of their career, I think are some of the hardest hit people by that. And so I think it's important when you begin this process to not feel like you are doing a bad job just because the industry itself is having a hard time filling roles or even opening roles for this sort of thing. So you need to be able to separate like where the industry is at versus where you're at. It may very well be that you aren't quite where you need to be to interview, right? Like maybe your portfolio isn't quite there or or you don't know enough yet. That is certainly possible. And sometimes that is the case, but I do think you need to be able to separate look at the industry, see what other people are saying, look at like hiring and recruiting trends. And sometimes you're going to find, especially like at a time like right now, though at this point, I think the industry is coming back a little bit in terms of hiring. You may find that it's not just you, right? It's not like you just suck and you're not getting a job and everyone else is. So just keep that in mind. And then the last thing that I'll say, and I'm going over on this one again, I really try and keep these till 15, 20 minutes, but there's just a lot of information and and these are fairly informationally dense, is when you're looking at these career roadmaps, that was the positioning of this whole thing. 
building is there's a lot of these career roadmaps that tell you learn X, Y, Z, A, B, C in these orders, in this order, and you'll get a job. You need to be very wary of kind of trends. I'll give you an example. About two or three years ago, and I say this because I was one of these people working in this uh, area, there was this idea that serverless development was going to replace large swaths of how we do programming. I won't get into what serverless development is, but it's this idea that it would replace big chunks of backend development. And so if you would have checked some of these career roadmaps two or three years ago, you would have seen everyone was saying you need to learn serverless in order to get a job as like a modern backend developer job. Two or three years on, it turns out that a lot of serverless development, while sometimes it has its use, the hype has died down. It's not like the buzzword that it once was. Now everything's AI, right? So the buzzword has changed. Same with like in the data science world, like big data is not the thing that it was a couple years ago. Now everyone's talking about like data lakes and all this stuff. Totally out of my area of expertise, but I can just tell you anecdotally that I've, I know people who have been in that industry and, and it changes all the time. So there are some things that are foundational, right? Like front-end development and back-end development. These are not going away anytime soon. Probably not unless AI replaces either of those, which I don't think it's at that stage yet. Maybe that's an episode that I'll do in the future. But there are also things that are totally of the time and of the place, and you need to be wary of those things. Sometimes that's because the people who build these roadmaps do genuinely feel like they're going to be transformative. And that's cool. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there are other times where you'll see a roadmap that says, hey, serverless development is coming and you need to learn serverless development. And then you go and look and it's, oh, it's this roadmap is sponsored by a serverless provider. Okay. That obviously colors this whole thing. So just be wary of that kind of stuff. You can, I'll just say, if you've listened to this episode for what, 25 plus minutes and you have a question about that, I'm not like, I don't know everything, but you can always message me on Instagram or wherever. And I'm happy to give you my opinion. If you're like, should I actually learn this? Uh, I get messages all the time about stuff like, should I learn this JavaScript framework or whatever? I'm happy to give you my opinion. And you should also ask other people, you know, if you have mentors and and things like that, you should definitely ask them as well because stuff uh, changes a lot in this industry. Those are three sort of parting ideas I'll leave you with. At some point in the future, we'll pick this series back up as we get into this sort of like mid-level developer. It gets a little more complex and stuff like that. But hopefully this is useful. And I know for junior developers, you have no lack of things to listen to and to watch and to read in regards to your career stuff. So if you've listened to all these episodes, I appreciate it. I hope it was useful and definitely let me know on social media and and stuff like that if you found it useful. So on that note, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and we'll get to some sort of non-career roadmap stuff. Now that I'm done with this initial series, next episode, I'll talk about uh, full stack development environments and how to set them up. If you found this useful, like I said, leave a review, follow us on social media. It's the number seven dot dev. That's seven D-O-T-D-E-V. We post daily videos on uh, Instagram and TikTok and YouTube about programming topics. And then on the number seven dot dev, that's the website seven dot dev. You'll be able to check out our free courses. We just had a course come out, a free course on GitHub Copilot called GitHub Copilot Mastery that teaches you everything you need to know about GitHub Copilot and getting started with it. And then we publish blog posts a couple times a week on all kinds of programming topics, though generally it's on uh, full stack development. So thanks so much for listening. I'm your host, Christian Freeman, and I will see you in the next episode.